0: It really kind of is the theme of our church as you walk into the sanctuary, you might see above. Does anybody know? Raise your hand. What's above the door of the sanctuary? Living God's way. Now, everywhere you go, everything you do, every day of your lives, that is the other side of worship that you're familiar with. And we're going to be explaining that in the coming weeks and even beginning today. Now, I just want to say a couple things about the book. I know this is a sort of preaching format rather than a teaching format because you can go to a class and we can really unravel the the history of the church and the history of the Old Testament. But there's a couple things I want to remind you as we enter into the subject of the other side of worship. This is the last book in the Old Testament. How many you know what's the last book in the Old Testament? What's the name of the book? Malachi. Okay, we got a lot of good seasoned saints here. The last book in the Old Testament, and it was written approximately around 430 to 415 B.C. And it's the last prophetic voice that humanity is going to hear for over 400 years. And you want to hear God every single day of your lives. And if you don't feel that you hear from him, you say, boo-hoo, he doesn't love me. That's kind of what Israel was saying to God. They also knew about their former glory, just about us in the United States. Recall our former glory that everybody's trying to unravel and act as if it never existed And they just got back from captivity. They had been back in their land for 100 years. But basically, they were still under the captivity of the Persians. And they're wondering, God, you said you were going to restore us to that glory in the davidic Solomonic era. When is it going to arrive? Besides that, we're experiencing famine. Our captives are oppressing us, almost like it was back in... Egypt. And so they get a prophetic word from the prophet Malachi. They had basically, the the book of Malachi is built around six kind of sarcastic questions posed to God in light of what I just described to you. The first one we're going to discover this morning to talk about God, do you you really love me? Come on. You mean you really love me? That's one of the sarcastic questions they pose to God, and he disputes that with them. Six disputes in the book of Malachi. Just quickly, the other ones, we honor your name. In fact, listen, we take out the vowels in your name. We don't even want to pronounce your real name because we're afraid that, that we might be offending you, God. But then God says, Well, you've been profaning my name all the time, all along. And then, what about your unfaithfulness to the covenant that you made with me and to the marriage covenant? We're going to be talking about that. You've been unfaithful. Real worship is you remain faithful to the wife of your youth. I hate divorce. God How come it seems like the unrighteous prosper and the righteous don't? I don't like your brand of justice. And God unravels his brand of justice to the people of Israel and ultimately to us. And then the scripture describes that the Israelites had moved away from God and he asked them to return You're going to be surprised. One of the great ways he told them to return. And it has something to do with your back hip. Stay tuned for that. And finally, the sixth question they posed to him. And many wonder this today. Does it pay to serve God? It really doesn't pay. That's what they were Posing to God, it really doesn't pay. Look at the, the wicked are doing just as good, if not better, than we are. So, God kind of reveals to them the other side of worship through these disputes, disputations, if you want to call them, in the book of Malachi. So, the title of this morning's message is to present to you the first question posed to. God by the Israelites, and and some of you may pose this question to him. Does anybody love me? Father, I pray that you will convince us today through your word. Not only do you love Israel, but that you love us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I want to start by reading just a couple verses. We're actually going to go verse by verse in the book of Malachi, over six weeks. But today, I just want to handle five verses. But let me begin with the first two verses so we can establish kind of the debate or the dispute that they have with God. And that is, do you love me, God? Do you really love us, God? And we could hear God saying back to the Israelites and ultimately to you and me, do you really love me? On a scale of one to 10, How much do you feel that God really loves you? And on a scale of one to 10, how much do you really love God? Where would you put that marker on that scale of one to 10? He begins in Malachi by saying, I have loved you, says the Lord in verse two. I have loved you. But you ask, How have you loved us? And he just throws this out at them. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. So he declares his love. And then I kind of hear a feedback as I was studying this. Well, you're questioning my love for you, but what about your love for me? That's stated in the Ten Commandments. Remember in Exodus 20, verse 3, he said, well, if you really love me, then you, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, don't think of just bowing down and worshiping some idol or some statue or some piece of wood. It's anything we put in front of our relationship with God. Then he continues to challenge us about our love to him when he tells us in Deuteronomy 6, 5, again, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Remember, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus picks up on these truths in the New Testament when the question was posed to him, kind of how do you love God and how do we love others? And he tells us in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is, this is the other side of worship. Loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. How are you doing today in your love for God? Now, in this verse, in the beginning verse, he declares his love. All God has to say is, I love you. That settles it. Someone has said, you've heard this before, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But guess what? That's, that's not true. It doesn't matter what you, you believe. God said it, and that settles it. Let's know, Israel, let's know, church, God loves you. Does anybody love Yes, God loves you. I remember putting that question to God, a 20-year-old hippie with a ninth-grade education, Nobody in the world that I feel loved me. Have you ever felt that way? Nobody loved you. Perhaps that's how you felt before you came to know Christ. By the way, there's millions and millions of people around the world that have lost their dads or their moms and lost their jobs or have nothing. They feel the same. Does anybody love me? And God declares very clearly through his word and through what he's created, I love you. So he states this in 1st John. First God is love. So we have to establish that. I know God people conjure up in their minds what God is like. Have you ever thought what God is like? You know, he's sitting on some cloud playing a harp. Perhaps he he looks like Zeus as depicted in movies or in cartoons. I don't know how you picture God. I can't picture him cuz he's spirits. But the scripture does say in 1st John 4:16. And we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God with them. So he declares his love. He makes it very clear. God is love. Secondly, by the way, God loves Israel. Now this is very important to the church because this, is a, this church has a biblical world view. We do not allow anti semitists in this church. Why? You would be going against God because he loves Israel and his promises come through Israel and through his people. But remember this. Not all the Israelis love God, including the nation that exists today. It is by the hand of God that they're a nation because God is moving forward with his plan. That he said he would never forsake him. We'll get to that in a minute. But as you need to know, I need to know, those looking down the need to know, God loves the people of Israel. So do not lift your hand to vote against the people of Israel. Here's what he said in Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. We'll talk about that in a minute. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. The Lord is God. And so I I want to establish very clearly, so in the minds of us Americans today and those listening and online, without a shadow of a doubt, you need to know that God loved Israel and He still loves Israel and He's going to continue loving Israel. And if you want to be on God's side, you better love Israel also. Amen? Amen. And so you don't believe that? Well, let's establish this truth. In Deuteronomy 4, beginning in verse 32, he said, Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire, as you have, Israel, and lived? Remember the passage where God said, no one shall see his face and live in the flesh? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of all nations by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, By a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. Now, he told them this. Israel knew about this. They knew the Torah like the back of the hand, but they didn't recall and remember what he had told them through Moses. He continues. You were shown these things that you might know that Yahweh, the Lord, Adonai, is God. Beside him there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Just in case we have some new students to the word of God, remember when he delivered them from Egypt? He delivered them in the day with a the cloud, they followed this cloud. And at night, they followed this pillar of fire. I mean, wow. For 40 years, God spoke to them. And so I just want to remind you of that. And then he continues, because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength. Think about it. This story Of God's mighty hand moving in the life of one nation has been told now for centuries because of the mighty hand that he delivered Israel with. And then in Deuteronomy 7 7 through 9, you need to mark these in your Bible. You need to talk to your friends about this that we do not accept those who are anti Semitic. That doesn't mean we hate them, that doesn't mean we call them names. We just put it in our minds. Wow, they don't know the king of kings and the Lord of lords like you and me do. You see, the Lord did not set his affection on you. They needed to know this. And choose you because you're more more, more numerous than all peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery and from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord, your God, is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. In Psalms 94, one more about God's love for Israel. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Now you're sitting here going, okay, what about me? Well, we already established God loves you. In 1 John 3, 1. We need to know we're loved. I didn't know God loved me. All I knew about was a church. And some people that dressed kind of fancy. And and there was kind of smoke and incense in these churches, just like we have some here. I thought, well, that's... That's all I know about God. He loves you. He loves me. Well, in First John 3, 1, he said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Now, I know a little bit about this because when I felt rejected and a family took me in their home and they actually called me like their son and I know something about it because we brought a girl into our home and a young man into our home and they live with us and they're in our will and they call us mom and dad and we basically call them our children. So I know something about what God is teaching you and me that what a privilege it is to be called a child of God. And he called Israel children of God and he said and that's what we are the reason the world does not know us is that they do not know him once again god loves you in deuteronomy i just read it in verse 9 but let me repeat it now and therefore know therefore that the lord your god is god and he is the faithful god keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. That means he loves you. Are you feeling better already? That God loves you? Can you kind of go like this? Go ahead, give yourself a little hug. He loves you. And so do I. Billy Graham used to always say that God loves you. He'd point his bony finger at God loves you. The Bible says so. God loves you. Well, God loves you so much that John 3.16 tells us a little bit about the depthness of his love. I know you know this, but you need to circle it. You need to meditate on it. You need to memorize it. For God so loved the whole world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. By the way, I think I've told you this before. I deliberately go slow with scriptures that I've memorized because other people may not be familiar with it. And by the way, it's his word that goes out and doesn't return void. So be careful when you're quoting God's scripture. You just don't ramble through it. For God love so love the word that gave his only because on the word believes in him shall so not be ashamed. I know preachers get up in the pulpit and act like what they have to say is more important than what God has to say. So speak his word clearly And slowly, he's communicating to you and me that he loves us. Romans 5, 8 kind of goes a little deeper about his love for us. But God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were brats, criminals, steeped in sin, all deep within, Christ died for us. I mean... We don't want to do anything for anybody unless, you know, sometimes when you do something for someone, you kind of, I hope they appreciate it. And when they don't, you kind of get mad and say, I shouldn't have done that for them. While we were sinners, Christ died for you and me. That's the depth of love he has for us. When we weren't thinking about him, when some of you were cussing him out on the pickleball courts and out on the tennis courts and the ball field, and some of your teams lost last night, like Notre Dame. My kids, I know, love Notre Dame. And they lost, and they're slamming on the table. I remember pounding on those tables. Sometimes everybody got out of the house when I was watching a football game. But I've changed because God loves me. One more, John 15, about God's love. Remember, when God says something, he declares his love. That's it. That settles it. Greater love has no one than this, Then he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay, so he's telling Israel, I love you. And he's telling you and me through Malachi. Because remember, these things were written for you and me as well as for the Israelites. God loves you. Okay, so now he establishes this fact, but then they kind of give him a little feedback in chapter chapter 1, verse 2. But you ask, how have you loved us? I mean, think about their whole history, and they're wondering. Some of you kids wonder whether mom and dad love you. Look at what they've done. You got food in your belly? You got a place to lay your head? You got a cell phone? Wait, you're going to get one pretty soon, either by them or the government. You don't have a car? Wait long enough. They may decide to give you a car, too. <laughs> want to go to school? Just go to school. They'll pay off that debt. Just pretend it's going to happen. oh Let me get back to my text here. <laughs> Doubting the love of God. Have you ever doubted the love of God like Israel did? Look at our predicament. God, you're telling us you love us? We feel like chopped liver compared to David and Solomon. You in America, you're wondering, does God love us? Look what this country used to be like. The hospitals, the schools, the public schools. They taught about God. They used the text to talk about God and science and math. And now it's no more. You can't even pray in the schools. God, you love us. Look at all these wicked people that are prospering in the government and all around us. Look at all the lies. The medical scientists and all those people are telling us. You mean to tell us you love us, God? Uh, Did I speak for you? Did I do it properly? Yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Okay, so they're wondering whether God loves them. So I want to establish with you this morning that God will always love us. You remember that beautiful Psalm 136 where the refrain always says this, his love endures forever? Let me give you two verses. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good his love endures forever. The people would repeat that. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Thirteen times in the 26 verses, the psalmist declares, God will love you forever. He will always love you. Hebrews reminds us of this love. Hebrews 13. Of this love. Continual love, when you're doubting God's love. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Perhaps maybe that's why you've fallen out of love with God, in your pursuit of money. And and be content with what you have. That doesn't mean you can't buy anything. Because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Not his children, he won't. If you're his child, he won't. We established that with the study of King David. And all he did, we're reminded he had a heart after God. And God himself said, here's a man after my my own heart. In spite of all the things that he did, God never took his love away from him. He never took his Holy Spirit away from him. And he won't do it to you. He continues, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Do you doubt God's love? He's saying, God will always love you. Now, perhaps we doubt God's love because supposedly he abandons you or abandoned Israel. That's what they thought. He abandoned them. Israel felt abandoned because of their sin and because God disciplined Israel they lost their independence as a nation. He warned them over and over and over and over and over again. Just like parents tell their children. Over and over and over and over again. You know how many times I tell my grandkids, don't stand on the couch. Don't, how many you guys, I, I mean, you're not, don't come to my house and ruin my springs that I have to go out and spring out a new couch and put it in here because of you. I tell them over and over and over again. Uh, But I'm very careful because my kids are there, and I I don't want to tell my kids how to run or operate their kids because I want them to come back and visit me, so I I, I make sure I don't don't discipline their kids. Now, my dad would have. How many got dads? They would have. My dad didn't care. I came from a family that my dad, discipline was a god in our family. Pull you up by the ear, grab you by the arm, I mean, My dad would go in a store, and I remember he took my brother, who didn't do anything, into a pinball place. And he took my brother, and he paddled him upside, backside, and and took him out of there. And my brother was embarrassed in front of all the people. My dad didn't care. And back then, your uncles and aunts could discipline you. Remember that? Grandmas and friends could discipline. Teachers could discipline you. Maybe that's the problem that we have in our nation. But long story short, God disciplined Israel so they felt abandoned maybe you young man young lady here this morning you haven't been very good and you feel that your mom and dad hasn't treated you right and maybe did you ever look in the mirror and think it might have been yes you and not your mom and dad I should be getting some good emails from the moms and dads after the service today (laughs) we do feel abandoned by God at times um Why do we feel abandoned? Why do we question God about his love? I think we question God's love when we get our eyes off of him and we look at our present circumstance. Case in point, do you remember when God decided to test Job? Aren't we glad God tested Job because now we have... uh, You know, Monday night quarterbacking, it's easy now to look into the book of Job and understand what God was up to. He took everything away from Job. He was a very wealthy man. And then on top of that, he allowed him to contract some illnesses and diseases. So his wife was observing on the sidelines all that happened. She finally had enough. She looked at him. Quit looking like a man of integrity. Why don't you just curse God and die? That's how Israel felt, and perhaps that's how you feel at times. You say, you love me, God? Why am I in this circumstance? Why am I in this predicament? Israel was because of their sin. The first thing to check is make sure that your life lines up with God so that the predicament that you're in might be removed if you confess your sin. But other times you're in predicaments just because of the world that we live in. But we feel abandoned at times like Israel did. They feel they lost the favor of God. Well, they did lose the favor of God. But Jesus told you and me ahead of time that we should expect, come on, believer, he loves you, he told you that, he demonstrated that, but you must understand, he said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So don't think God's abandoned you when you are persecuted for righteous sake. So I think many people doubt God's love because they feel he's abandoned them in the present circumstances that they're in. Well, if you look at Job, it wasn't his fault. God had not abandoned him, and neither will he abandon you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm there with you. How about you doubt God's love because he didn't answer your prayer, just like you wanted him to answer your prayer? He does answer prayers. Case in point, what about Mary and Martha? Remember when their brother Lazarus was sick? Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. He was out of town, and they sent word to him, come back in town. Would you heal the one you love, Lazarus? Jesus doesn't show up, doesn't show up, and Lazarus dies. What have Mary and Martha concluded? Well, they give us an indication when Jesus showed up. Jesus, we know you could have healed them. How come you weren't here? You felt like that at times, right? God, do you really love me? You, you didn't answer my prayer, or you didn't answer it when I wanted you to answer the prayer, or you didn't answer the prayer like I wanted you to answer my prayer. And so sometimes we conclude God does not love us. We doubt God's love. I mean, can you, I know a couple times in 40 years we've been married, my wife might have asked me, I don't know if she's asked me, I might ask her, do you, do you love me, honey? Have you ever said that to your, to your spouse? Do you love me? And you reassure your kids all the time you love them whether they're home or whether they're at school or whether they've moved away i know i called my daughter up late last night about 11:15 because i know that jw loves notre dame and i know the grandkids love notre dame because their daddy loves notre dame and all of a sudden ohio was whipping their tail ends and so i called them up just to show a little bit of love you know, I'm not, I like Notre Dame, but I'm not a Notre Dame. But did you see them hurricanes? <laughs> oh, excuse me, I can make it. Whoo! They put a whooping on that team. Bethune? What, what the? Where, who, where did they come from? I didn't even know the name of that team. I didn't know where they came from. I thought they were aliens from another planet the way they were playing. I didn't even know if they knew how to play the game of football at all the way they were playing last night. But back to doubting God's love because he doesn't answer your prayer and your team doesn't win. And then you wonder if God loves you. <laughs> Oh, you've been there. I've been there. Well, we're real worship is loving God through the ups and downs of this life, through the trials and tribulations of this life, through our successes and failures, and through sickness and health. That was a commitment I made to my wife 40 years ago, and she made to me, through sickness and in health. We've had some ups and downs. I act like it's always been hunky-dory. My wife said, you always act like everything's hunky-dory. I see a glass half full, and some people see a glass half empty. How many half empty folks here see a glass half empty? Raise your hand. How many see a glass half full? Oh, wow, got a lot of people. Okay, so you see that tension in, in families at times. And so we always wonder if we're loved or, or we're giving enough love. But God wants us to love each other and love him through so-called unanswered prayers through these trials and tribulations, through life and death, and when we don't even understand what God is up to. He wants us, remember I started the message off with God loves us, but he's commanded us to love him. He could be turning that around asking you and me, do you love me? Real worship, the other side of worship, is loving God back. Not just in a song. It's not just about a song. Defining love. He, in this passage, in Malachi chapter 1, begins to describe to Israel his love. He clearly defines it when he tells them in verse 2 and in verse 3. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. First, I want to say God clearly tells Israel, I've loved you. Kind of reminds me of Jacob, loving Rachel, and not loving Leah, was very clear that he loved Rachel and did not care for Leah because he was tricked into marrying her. So God is clearly telling the Israelites, listen, it's on display. I have loved you, the nation of Israel, and I have hated the Edomites. Let me just explain to you, by the way, lest you misunderstand God or misinterpret what he's saying here. When he says, I have hated you, he doesn't really, really mean that. How so? Well, he explains it. His love for Israel juxtaposed against his hatred for Esau. He said again, Esau, I've hated. I've turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Hate in this particular case is really a choice of one over the other. Remember, the eldest always inherited usually the majority of the family's material wealth as well as the blessings. But God doesn't have to work the way we humans work, and he decided to, to make an example out of Esau, and he said, I'm going to love his other brother, his, the one that came second, even though they were twins. I'm going to bless Jacob just because I want to. And I explained to you just a little earlier that there was nothing special about Jacob He wasn't better than Esau. It's just God made an eternal decision. I am going to show the world what I can do, and I'm going to love Jacob over Esau. And compared to his love for Jacob, it looked like he hated Esau. But remember, we're talking about a nation, his destination, his, his desire and destination for the nation of Israel. We're not talking about the subject of soteriology, which is the study of salvation. He's not talking about that. There were many, many Edomites that became believers. There were many Israelites that were not believers. Let me explain. In the New Testament, it clearly, clearly tells and explains what God, Jesus is same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is God. What God meant when he was telling Israel, Jacob I've loved. And Israel of hated. In Luke 14, the scripture tells us very clearly what he means by hate. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, that looks like he's breaking the Ten Commandments, love thy father and mother. So you have to understand what God is saying when you read in the Old Testament and you read in the New Testament, and don't make a beeline for election and predestination and all that stuff. Jesus explained. When you have trouble understanding a passage in the Bible, just wait. Read other passages. Scripture interprets Scripture. In this case, the New Testament clearly explains what God meant when he said, Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. Let's continue. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife or children, brother or sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, do you believe that's pretty clear, what God means by hate? How many, how many do you think it's clear? Raise your hand. How many think it's still unclear? Raise your hand. Oh, so you guys got it. Okay, you raised your hand. You didn't quite get it. Oh, you did get it. You didn't get it. Okay, you did get it. Okay, get it. okay confused. All God is saying is this. He's not, we know he's not telling us to hate our mother, right? And hate our father. We know that. And some people will use the word, you must prefer me over your mother, your father, your children. I know people that wouldn't come to church because of their children or because of their husband or because of their wife or they wouldn't serve God because of their mom or because of their dad or because of persecution. He's saying, listen, you got to hate all that. You got to prefer me before all that because we know he told us to honor our mothers and father and raise up our children in the ways of the Lord. He's not telling you to hate your children, he's not telling you to hate your brothers and sisters, nor was he saying he hated Esau. He's talking about the nation, he chose Israel out of all the nations of the world to tell us about himself. And to tell us about mankind and his plan for mankind through the nation of Israel, not through Esau and the Edomites. And so he's declaring very clearly that Jesus needs to be number one. Can you imagine me going or you going to your husband or to your wife saying, Okay, honey, I love you, but I have... I used to say this wrongly when I was a kid, not married... Tell my kids, hey, when you're dating, make sure you have a spare in case you get a flat. My wife didn't like that. And when my kids quoted that to their girlfriends, and they didn't like that. You know, you know when you're dating someone, just in case it doesn't work out, you want to make sure you have someone else because you don't want to look like the lone, lone wolf and nobody likes you. You know, you got to have some spares in case you get a flat. Well, that, didn't, that doesn't go over too well, especially when you're married. <laughs> God is saying the same thing to you and me. You keep telling me you love me. But what do you spend most of your time doing? What do you spend most of your money on? He said, invest in the kingdom of God. Ask yourself, how much do I really love God? Am I preferring him... Before my son, he, he's, I think it says it there, doesn't it? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sister, yea, even their own life, he must come even before your desires. How are you doing there? Are you loving him back properly? God's love for Israel is seen also juxtaposed against his rejection Permanent rejection of the Edomites. So Israel is looking at what God's done for them throughout her history. And then they look at Esau and the Edomites. And uh, he said this. "In Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish they will be called the wicked land and people always under the wrath of the Lord. You see, you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. You see what God was trying to establish? They needed to know, Israel needed to know, and the rest of the world needed to know. He wasn't just a God of the nation of Israel because all the, all the other nations had little gods And they thought their God helped them defeat enemies or provide food for them. But the world needed to know Yahweh, Israel's God, is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so he was going to demonstrate that through the nation of Israel and through the Edomites. By the way, he fulfilled that promise because basically they were in about... 430 and 415, and thereafter, they went into the wilderness, and the Natabeans basically um, destroyed them. And in the Edomites, the Edomite nation basically was destroyed by the Natabeans. and uh, basically those who were left kind of migrated to Rome, and a lot of your Roman citizens were descendants of Esau. But the nation was destroyed. So he said, look at what I'm doing with you and look at my plans for you and look at my plans for the Esau and the Edomites. And you're going to see that I love you. And I've always loved you. Even though I'm going to discipline you, even though I'm going to scatter you all over the nations of the world, one day I'm going to bring you back. And you and me have seen a a fulfillment of scriptures in our time when Israel became a nation in 1948. God is redefining to you and me what love is or what love looks like. He tells us this in 1 Corinthians. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. These are the most important of all the gifts that God's given the church. I know we all like to have all these other gifts, the gifts of miracles, the gift of healing. Maybe you want the gift of singing. Maybe you want the gift of preaching or teaching. But God said the greatest gifts he's given all of us is faith, hope, and love. And out of these three, he said the most important one is love. You and me can be just like God by loving one another as he has loved us. Stop doubting God's love. Remember what he told Thomas? Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. I'll end with this diminishing love diminishing love you see we fall out of love god doesn't fall out of love with you we fall out of love remember in revelation revelation 2 4 he told the churches but especially ephesus i hold this against you now now perk up remember i asked you how much do you love god on a scale one to ten where are you at He's addressing these churches. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember, we preach the gospel, exhorting one another to change. What is he saying to you this morning? Is he saying this to you as he said this to Ephesus? Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. This is exactly what he's going to tell us in the book of Malachi. Return to me, the word is used. Return to the other side of worship, to real worshiping. It's not just about playing an instrument or standing up singing or raising your hands when the body of Christ meets. It goes beyond that. The other side is loving God back. Remember, when you first got saved, the things that you used to do. The only thing I dislike. I I am in love with God. Today, I believe just as much as I was back in 1976. I don't like the things I've done wrong no more than I like the things I've done wrong to my wife or my kids. I'm not a perfect father, and I'm not a perfect husband, but God sees me perfect. Because he clothed me with righteousness. He's clothed you with righteousness. And he sees you as righteous in his sight. He sees you as perfect in his sight. But through the process of sanctification, we're learning to be just like Jesus. He knows you love him. He knows I love him. Minus the wrongs, you probably love him. But are you loving him like you used to love him? Or has the busyness of life kind of got in the way? and your pursuit of things got in the way. How much do you really love him? I'll end by these two scriptures. God's love is not diminishing. His love never diminishes. He said in Jeremiah 32, again, you are saying about the city Jerusalem, by the sword, famine, and plague, it will be given to the hands of the king of Babylon, But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says I will surely gather them from all the lands where I have banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. After all, God did for them, they kept rebelling and rebelling and rebelling and rebelling, falling out of love with God, in love with the things of this world. So, He finally gave them over the land into captivity to the Babylons and the Syrians. They did come back into the land so that God could fill His promise. Even while they were prisoners to their captors, they still got to practice out their religious lives. So they thought they had something when they really had nothing in comparison to what their ancestors had. But he's reminding them, I will surely gather them back from all the land where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. And they will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well with them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. God's message to Israel is, I'm never going to forsake you. Although for a time, you're going to be disciplined. And then Deuteronomy 7:9, the last passage. He's telling Israel and he's telling you and me. He loves us. Does anybody love me? God is saying to you and me that he loves us. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God and that he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. That's to you and me. Of those who love him, And keep his commandments. Does anybody love you? The question is Does anybody love us? Israel was asking. You may be asking it in the circumstances you're in today Does he really love me? I pray that the scriptures that were spoken and read and that the Holy Spirit at work has convinced you that he loves you, but he might be asking you to do something as you stand with me at this time. Will you accept God's love this morning? and obey the first commandment. He's already told you, declared to you, He loves you. Will you love God back as He commanded us to? And then show God real worship by loving Him during the week with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. Loving Him even when we don't understand what's happening in this country or what's happening in your life or what's happening in your family because of the trials and tribulations in your life. I am making a covenant with my mouth and my mind. I'm going to love you back, God. In fact, I'm returning to you. He's asked us to return to him. Will you return to him and leave your other lovers? Let's pray. Father, things can get in the way like in our marriages or even in friendships. Father, I've always said to myself and the friends, I have to be intentional at loving people and loving my friends and loving my family. Lord, we need encouragement at times in the times that we live. Help us to see your love all around us, this building you've given us, the fact that we could still meet, the fact that every one of us will go back and home today and have something to eat be able to enjoy the the scenery that you have painted on the canvas of, of creation having friends having eternity wow help us open our eyes help us to quit asking for you to love us back when you've already declared you love us God this church would like to do a good job perhaps a better job at loving you back by the way we live our lives this week including this afternoon. Help us to pray for people, call people, and encourage people. Thank you for the encouragement you've given us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Of course, we have a time of worship as we sing, but we can also worship God as we pray. We don't pray because you have something bad wrong with you. We pray because part of meeting together is praying. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can make that decision right where you're at, or at home, by just inviting God in your life, by saying, I'm sorry, God, I am a sinner and I know it. I'm putting my faith in Jesus alone. Jesus saved me, and he will He will adopt you in His family, and He will call you His child, and He will never remove His love for you. If you're gonna make that decision online, would you please let us know? And if you've made that decision here today, would you please let us know? And finally, would you please let us know that you need to be baptized? Please be obedient to the Holy Spirit telling you what to do. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at dlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.